This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. For three days last month, Christians and social conservatives from around the country gathered in the nation's capital for the 11th annual Value Voters Summit. Sponsored from the start by FRC Action, the legislative affiliate arm of the Family Research Council, the summit provides a forum to help inform and mobilize citizens across America to preserve the bedrock values of traditional marriage, religious liberty, sanctity of life, and limited government. Other similar organizations also helped sponsor the event. This latest summit was truly groundbreaking. For the first time in its history, a sitting president, Donald Trump, was in attendance. Other notable speakers included talk show host Laura Ingram, civil rights leader Dr. Alveda King, March for Life president Jeannie Mancini, Live Actions founder and president Lila Rose, and House Minority Whip Steve Scalise, among others. There were a number of breakout sessions featuring panel discussions on a variety of issues. Discussions included what the religious liberty movement can learn from the pro-life movement, transgender ideology in public schools, political and social engagement, and personal stories about fighting for religious freedom. My guest today is Peter Sprigg, Senior Fellow for Policy Studies at the Family Research Council and one of the breakout panelists at the Voter Values Summit. Today's Fast Trek. I'm Kip Allen with today's Fast Trek. A driver plowed a pickup truck down a crowded bike path along the Hudson River in Manhattan on Tuesday, killing eight people and injuring 11 before being shot by a police officer in what officials are calling the deadliest terrorist attack on New York City since September 11, 2001. A terrorist was shot and wounded by a police officer while he shouted, Allah Akbar. The Senate voted yesterday to confirm Notre Dame law professor Amy Coney Barrett by a vote of 55 to 43, with three Democrats voting with Republicans in favor of the appointment. Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz had challenged Democrats to support Barrett, President Donald Trump's pick for the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, who had faced sharp questioning from Democrats for her Catholic faith. The Center for Medical Progress, under fire for their undercover videos exposing Planned Parenthood's alleged trafficking of unborn baby parts, released a video yesterday featuring the testimony of a former procurement technician for STEM Express, Holly O'Donnell, who was sent to Planned Parenthood to procure fetal tissue. In the video, O'Donnell tells CMP's David DeLayden that Planned Parenthood gave STEM Express access to their patients' private medical information in order to fulfill procurement orders. That's a violation of the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. A U.S. House subcommittee is scheduled to consider a bill today to protect unborn babies from abortion once they have a detectable heartbeat. Republican Representative Steve King of Iowa introduced the Heartbeat Protection Act earlier this year. The bill, which has 170 co-sponsors, will be debated today in the House Judiciary Subcommittee. The bill would prohibit abortions when the unborn baby's heartbeat is detected, usually around six weeks into the pregnancy. 
The University of Notre Dame is ending its no-cost contraceptive coverage for employees and students. The South Bend Tribune reports that an email sent by the Catholic University on Friday to faculty and staff shows that coverage will end for employees on January 1st. Students under the school's insurance plan will be covered until August 14th. The announcement follows President Trump's plan to roll back the Affordable Care Act rule that requires employers to offer birth control coverage in their health insurance plan. The university's medical plan will cover contraceptives if they're used for specific medical conditions and not as a method to prevent pregnancy. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. World Lutheran News Digest is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Usted está escuchando el resumen de noticias Mundo Luterano. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm Kip Allen, World Lutheran News Digest host. My guest today is Mr. Peter S. Sprigg, who's a senior fellow for policy studies at the Family Research Council. Earlier this month, we had just concluded the Values Voters Summit which is really kind of a who's who of everybody who's involved in religious liberty and conservative causes. And, of course, you were one of the attendees there, Mr. Sprigg. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, could you give me a little bit of a background of the Value Voters Summit? This year's was, uh, I believe, the 12th annual Values Voters Summit. It arose out of, uh, we, we used to have a somewhat smaller event here in Washington, D.C., but this was a vision that uh, Tony Perkins, our president, had uh, for a major event that would be sort of a signature event for social conservatives in the whole year. And so we began this, uh, as I said, 12 years ago, and this was perhaps the most significant ever because last year when the the future president, Donald Trump, spoke. Uh, he was the first actual nominee to speak during the presidential election year. And then this year, when President Trump came and spoke again the first morning, he became the first sitting president to speak at the Values Voter Summit. So that was certainly a highlight of the event for us. Some of the guest speakers I noticed are Gary Bauer, Dr. Bill Bennett. We have, of course, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, David DeLayden of the Laura Ingram. 
uh, Dr. Elvita King, Dana Lash, Jeannie Mancini, of course, Tony Perkins was there, Lila Rose, Pat Robertson, Todd Stearns, and of course, the president. Wow, what a, an incredible gathering. What were the issues here? I know that there were a bunch of uh, breakout sessions that were planned during this event. And I think this was a, sort of an agenda where you were looking at what had happened, progress, and what needs still to be done. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, certainly, the the, uh, the large plenary sessions involved some of the the big name speakers that that you mentioned, uh, both uh, top leaders within the social conservative movement as well as top leaders within the political scene, the media, and so forth, uh, the conservative movement in general uh, in the United States. So, so you know, there was a lot of name recognition for the, some of those top speakers in the plenary sessions. But then to delve in more deeply into some of the specific issues, we did have these breakout sessions that allowed people um, to pick and choose which which issues they wanted to hear more about. Now, uh, the, the one that I can <laughs> speak to best is the one that I participated in, which was on the transgender issue in schools. This was actually kind of a reprise of a of a panel discussion that we had had a few months earlier here at Family Research Council, and uh, it was centered around the debate that's taken place in Fairfax County, Virginia. This is a very large school district, the tenth largest school district in the country, I believe, in terms of the number of students in uh, uh, Northern Virginia, in the, in the Washington, D.C. suburbs of Northern Virginia. And for two years, they've been implementing this radical pro-transgender policy over the opposition of a very well-organized and vigorous parents group and, and one very courageous conservative school board member, Elizabeth Schultz. So we had, we had Elizabeth Schultz there. We had uh, Meg Kilgannon of this Concerned Parents and Educators of Fairfax County. We had Josh Hetzler from the Family Foundation of Virginia, which is the the Family Policy Council for the state. He's their legislative counsel and attorney speaking to the legal issues. And then I was part of that panel as well, along with uh, my colleague, Kathy Roos, who is a Fairfax County resident and has been very active, also an attorney, and she was the moderator for this panel. So we, it was titled Transgender Ideology in Public Schools, Parents Fight Back. And it was really designed to give very practical advice to people on how they can combat this type of ideology if it's being pursued or pressed in, in the, the public schools that, that of the community they live in or where their children may be attending. Well, one area where I think you received a big boost in this particular issue was that uh, part of this uh, transgender policy in the Fairfax school system was actually promoted by the Obama administration under a directive that had been issued. Now, President Trump, with an executive order, has rescinded this. That's right, and this is one of the big uh, one of the big victories that we've had under the Trump administration was the decision by the Department of uh, Education and Department of Justice to withdraw the guidance that had been issued by the Obama administration just a year ago. You may recall the Obama administration had tried to impose this. There's no law. There's no federal law protecting gender identity. So what they have attempted to do is to argue that so-called discrimination on the basis of gender identity is actually a form of discrimination based on sex, which was made illegal in education by a 1972 law usually referred to as Title IX. 
Uh, it's actually Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972. And so the Obama administration ha- had adopted this sort of far-fetched idea that discrimination on the basis of sex, which obviously to the people who enacted this law in 1972, meant on the basis of their biological sex as male or female. And, and they've interpreted that to incorporate gender identity, the idea of uh, somebody believing or wanting to be something other than their biological sex. So that guidance has been reversed. And the situation that we face now, therefore, is that these local school districts are not in a position where they can say, oh, the federal government is insisting that we do this. They can no longer make that claim. But they can still implement these transgender policies on their own initiative if they, if they actually support it. So people need to, be, uh, need to still be vigilant even, uh, just because the guidance that would have imposed this nationwide has been withdrawn does not mean that you don't have uh, liberal activists in local local school districts or in particular states or localities who are going to be pushing this anyway. And I think we've seen some other issues uh, where President Trump has come down on the side of religious liberty. For example, we have a Supreme Court case right now of Masterpiece Cake Shop, of which the LCMS has filed an amicus brief. And uh, now the U.S. Department of Justice under President Trump has also filed an amicus brief in support of Masterpiece Cake House, uh, which uh, Cake Shop, pardon me, which, as you may know, is the Christian baker who said that he would not bake a cake specific to celebrate gay marriage. In addition, yeah, and there are a number of things that he won't do. For example, Hollywood, uh, uh, Halloween, he won't do that. He won't make a cake that has any kind of alcohol in it. He won't make a cake that he considers lewd, for example, for bachelor parties. Right, and uh, that's that's a very important point that uh, was discussed in a in a plenary session on religious liberty hosted by my colleague Travis Weber, who who directs our Center for Religious Liberty here at FRC. This uh, is a very crucial case because we had said for years when when same sex marriage was being de- debated across the country, the the uh, redefinition of marriage to to include same-sex couples, that one of the negative consequences, there would be many, but one of the negative consequences would be a heightened threat to religious liberty. And that has certainly been borne out in the two years since the Supreme Court saw fit to redefine marriage back in the Obergefell decision in 2015. We, we're seeing this open hostility to religious liberty, whereby anyone who holds to a tr- traditional moral view that marriage should be defined as the union of one man and one woman, and that sexual relations should be confined to such a marriage is under attack, just just simply under attack and being threatened with not being able to really carry on business in the public square. And Jack Phillips in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case is the one that's going to the, to the U.S. Supreme Court. I think it's a very important case. And I, I just want to remind your listeners that the issue here is not what the left says. The issue is not people who identify as gay and lesbian being denied service. Jack Phillips served gay and lesbian customers all the time with, with pleasure, as did uh, Baronel Stutzman of Arlene's Flowers in Washington State, who faced a similar case. The question is using his artistic talents to express, a, being forced by the law to use his artistic talents to express a message with which he does not agree, namely the celebration of a same-sex union as being a, a marriage, the equivalent of a, the union of a man and a woman. And so 
if there's anything that, that free speech should mean in our country, it is that we cannot be compelled by the government to express a message that we disagree with. And, and that's really what's at stake in this Supreme Court case. Well, there are a number of other things that are, that are coming up. And, and uh, one thing that has uh, bothered me, I think, from the point of view of uh, Christians, is that many Christians, for whatever reason, have not been active in participating in the public square. And I know we have faced this in our own Senate, where uh, we do have a, a faction that says, well, you know, we shouldn't have anything at all to do with the government. We're strictly from the uh, the spiritual end. And, but of course, the the official view is that no we're part of the of the of the what we call the left-hand kingdom and we must be part of it and we must participate in it and what i'm seeing here i think is finally a mobilization of uh, of religious people not just christians but jews uh, muslims and others who are saying that yeah we belong in this and and the government is doing things that are impacting our beliefs and we have a right to be involved in that and i noticed that one of the uh, one of the breakout sessions you had was the day Christians changed America, how conservative Christians put Trump in the White House and redirected America's future. I'm not fully sure that's correct, but it certainly <laughs> is, is something that is great for discussion. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's uh, of course, a lot of people have, have uh, uh, see that as ironic because um, Donald Trump is not a product of our movement. He's not someone with a, you know, a, a history of professing evangelical faith and so forth. But it, it's clear that evangelical voters did play a significant role in putting him in the White House. So I'm, I'm sure that's something that will be discussed and debated for many years. <laughs> but I think that the the rationale behind a lot of those people was that we knew if we knew that if Hillary Clinton was became president of the United States that she would be, be uh, her policy the policies of her administration would be opposed to what we believe in on almost every score on the on the issues of uh, on pro-life issues on issues of human sexuality on issues of religious liberty that she would be doing the wrong thing across the board and with trump while he he may not uh really be one of us, so to speak. He did pick someone as his running mate, Mike Pence, who certainly is a product of the of the uh, conservative Christian movement and is knowledgeable about it. So that gave some people, I think, encouragement. And in fact, we have seen on a number of these issues, such as the transgender issue in the schools, the transgender issue in the military, as well as a number of pro-life issues, the, the administration has come down on the right side of all, a lot of these issues as far as we, you know, as far as we see them. So I know that there are a lot of people who have concerns about President Trump in terms of his personal background, in terms of his personal behavior and so forth. But ultimately, I think uh, the, the majority of evangelical voters decided to look at what was most likely pragmatically to result in the policy uh, outcomes that they that they desired and that's how they came down on the side uh, the majority came down on the side of, of Donald Trump I should mention the Supreme Court as well a very important issue we talked about this masterpiece cake shop case already it, it's unfortunate that the Supreme Court has arrogated to itself more power than what they are really supposed to have under our constitutional system that's my opinion but under these circumstances it's very important that we have people with an originalist view of the 
of, of the court and of legal and constitutional interpretation to sit on that uh, body. And so we got that with Neil Gorsuch, President Trump's uh, first appointment to the Supreme Court. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be something I'm sure historians will talk about for a long time. And there is, a, I will freely confess, there's a measure of irony in 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 the involvement of evangelical Christians in, in uh, electing Donald Trump. But there's no question as a as a matter of politics that is a large part of what happened and that to a large extent they have been rewarded in terms of the policies uh, pursued by this administration. Well, to put it in something of a uh, Lutheran setting, Martin Luther, following uh, his uh, condemnation at the Edict of Worms, was protected by Frederick of Saxony, who was a Catholic. (laughs) And Mm. it was was part of, it was a political thing where he was uh, was trying to point out that there is some power here and that we will not abrogate to the uh, pet to the papacy or to the uh, holy roman empire yeah and i, I do think it's interesting that uh, I, I will just mention this that uh, on the 500th you know anniversary of the uh, of the reformation we are in a situation where perhaps protestants uh, faithful protestants and faithful catholics are probably closer together now than they have been uh, at any time in the last five years, because, 500 years, because of the hostility from a from the secularists, the the secular attack upon faith convictions and upon people of faith personally, uh, has become so intense that uh, that uh, Protestants and Catholics have perhaps more common cause, at least on these issues in the public square, than than they have had in many centuries. You're absolutely correct. In fact, the LCMS has come out uh, in support of several Catholic, uh, in fact, the the, uh, archdiocese here and our own uh, LCMS president have issued a number of joint statements on such things as sanctity of life. So yeah, it's it's definitely you know, certainly we have many many doctrinal disputes with them, but the basic truths: life begins at conception. This is something we're in total solidarity on. Exactly right. Yeah, and uh, and so um, I I think it's very exciting to see that kind of uh, that kind of joint action. And certainly we here at Family Research Council, although we tend to be identified as a more evangelical group on our staff, we have a a, a very good mix of of evangelicals and Catholics uh, working side by side on these issues and and just t- totally of one mind and one heart as far as the. Um, uh, as far as the issues are concerned. Also, looking at uh, the current administration, as you pointed out, there are a lot of questions concerning President Trump personally about his past and about who and what he really is. But I think the fact remains that his actions, especially in terms of some executive decisions and certain appointments, show he is very much in line with what the evangelical movement and the Christian movement and the religious freedom movement is trying to accomplish. Yes, I think so. And I, and I think there's also, I mean, you when you talk to voters, you, you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, that, that they maybe don't get down into the weeds in terms of uh, of specific policy proposals or in ter- or even into the weeds in terms of 
specific things he may have done in his past that uh, you know that we would not approve of. But they, they say he's not politically correct, and they are they are really kind of sick of this politically correct elite that that looks down their noses at people with traditional values and and people who want to see those traditional values implemented in public policy. And for all of uh, Donald Trump's failings, you know, in the, in the past and in his personal life and so forth, he does not look down his nose at ordinary Americans. He and here again, there's an irony because you have, here's this very wealthy businessman, very wealthy, you know, billionaire who 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 you know lives a lifestyle very different from average Americans, and yet is in some ways uh, identifies more with average Americans than a lot of uh, you know much less wealthy people who who have gone to Ivy League schools and and you know work for media organizations and spend all their time in Washington <laughs> and New York and don't understand how people in the heartland. Uh, live or how they think, um, and uh, so you know that's a, that's another uh, kind of remarkable uh, aspect of this president. Well, as you pointed out, uh, many evangelicals were looking at, gee, we may not like President Trump, but we certainly don't like what uh, what a President Clinton would have done, and that, yes, that perhaps. Exactly right. Yeah. And, and it's it, you know it's ironic too because uh, I think that I think um, Christians who are involved in politics are sometimes in some circumstances accused of being too idealistic of not being realistic, and yet I think what happened I think the the role of uh, you know Christian evangelicals in particular in in electing Donald Trump shows that that they made a very pragmatic decision. This was not, uh, you know, this was, you know, uh, the term a lot of people said is, you know, we, we, we're electing the commander-in-chief, we're not electing a pastor. Yeah. Uh, he's not our national pastor. He's going to be the president. And, and so it, it was a very, really a very pragmatic decision on the part of this voting bloc that voting for him is, is the is the thing that's most likely to result in uh, the policy outcomes that we are looking for. Uh, I, I think that's what, what happened. One final question. Are we going to be having more Values Voter Summits? Oh, we will absolutely be having more of the Values Voter Summit. Uh, we, um, in fact, we've already reserved the... Uh, uh, the time for next year. I'm not sure. Gosh, I'm not sure if I can tell you off the top of my head what the weekend is. But uh, but um, we. Uh, well, I do have it actually. In 2018, the Values Voter Summit will be September 21st through the 23rd. So, if people would like to put that in their calendar right now and make plans to come and attend, that would be terrific. I think we had attendees this year from at least 48 of the 50 states, as well as several foreign countries and media from all around the world and so forth. So, I would certainly urge your listeners to reserve September 21st through the 23rd. That's a Friday through Sunday. The, the Friday and Saturday are the key days of 2018 for the next Values Voter Summit. Well, thank you very much. That's Mr. Peter Sprigg of the Family Research Council. Thank you very much for being a guest on World Lutheran News Digest. Thank you for having me. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen.
World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.